today's Bible passage will be Philippians chapter 4, verse 1 to 7. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stay true to the Lord. I love you and long to see you, dear friends, for you are my joy and the crown I, I receive for my work. Now I appeal to you, dear and Sintichi, please, because you belong to the Lord. Settle your disagreement, and I ask you, my true partner, to help these two women, for they have worked hard with me in telling others the good news. They worked along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers, whose names are written in the book of life. Always be full of joy in the Lord. I say again, rejoice. Let everyone see that you are considerate in all you do. Remember, the Lord is coming soon. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray, for, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. So why have I put this shot up on the screen? Well, it was the first slide from last week's sermon. And it is the parish church in the centre of the town of Cumnock in Ayrshire, where I was brought up. It's B-listed, apparently, and it was erected in 1866, but the bell in its tower dates from 1697. I was brought up in Cumnock, never knew any of that. That was the church that we went to when we were taken by school, and we jokingly counted the hairs on the minister's head, never thinking... Never thinking that someday some of us would be in the same position. But that's not the church I went to. Where I went was across the road. It was the Gospel Hall. It looked like that in the 1970s. And that's the wee notice board which told you what it was. And you went through a close and you went up a stair where it was above the lawyers and the shoe, ship, the shoe shop. And if you recognize the name of these, that shoe company, that tells you that they're really not as young as you think you are. Although there are many fewer churches in Scotland than there used to be, we're still used to the fact that in, certainly in a city you would have a number of different churches. But as we move into the final chapter of this letter sent to the Philippians, that wasn't the case in these days. Typically, even in a big city like Philippi, there was only one church. Because the church is people. It's not the buildings. It's the people who meet in the buildings, which is what we know is the church. And that's exactly churches meeting in a house or hiding somewhere from the authorities is very often what happens in many parts of our world still today. And this slide reminds us of where Philippi was. It shows Rome, the capital city of the great empire, where Paul was imprisoned for many years, and it's highly likely he wrote this letter from prison in Rome. And we've already heard about prison this morning. And uh, it's good to remember some of these things from the past and people we know. And we know that the first Christian believer in Philippi was a woman from Thyatira named Lydia. She was a dealer in purple cloth. And we read in chapter 1, the Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. She and the members of her household were baptized and she invited us to her home. And she said, if you consider me a believer in the Lord, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. So it's pretty likely, in fact, we know the church first started in our house. It was probably a, quite a big house, and that's maybe where the church still met. The next person was a slave girl. 
She was tormented by an evil spirit and she was manipulated by her owners for their own selfish ends. She kept following Paul and hassling him as he went around preaching. And he said to the evil spirit that was possessing her, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. And at that moment, the spirit left her. She maybe wasn't the second convert, which is why I've put a question mark, but she's a second we know of. And the next one was, of course, the jailer, because Paul and Silas were put in jail for freeing this slave. And when an earthquake shook the prison, we don't know which hymns they were singing, so we can't choose them for their powerful effect. But as they were singing hymns at midnight, the prison shook and there was an earthquake. Their chains fell off and the jailer rushed in. He called for lights, rushed in and fell trembling for before Paul and Silas and said, what must I do to be saved? And Paul immediately answered with those simple but profound words, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And Acts 16 tells us that the jailer took them, he washed their wounds, and immediately he and all his household were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and he set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. So, as we heard in the first week of this series, the church in Philippi started with Lydia and her household, a slave girl, the jailer in his household, and probably a small number of others. And then Paul left the city. And now when he's writing, we know that there were other people who were part of this local church. And today's passage mentions some of them. So, apart from filling time, why did I go back to that bit at the beginning? Well, it was to remind us of some of the people who were in the church. It was a very varied church. They came from very complicated backgrounds. And this is a very varied church. And we all come from different backgrounds. And I know that some of them are complicated. Well, mine was complicated for a start. Because we had to walk 10 miles on a Sunday to and from that small church. And when you had little legs, they haven't got much bigger, but they were very little in these days, it was a bit of a struggle. But we heard the gospel, and that's what transformed our lives. So as we come to this wonderful passage, Paul is sitting in prison, and he's writing about these points at the, latest, at the latter part of his letter. He's really in the first verse concluding the section from last week. He says, therefore, Paul likes to say, therefore. Therefore means because of all that's happened before, all that God has done in your lives, you folks in Philippi, all that God has done in my life, the least we can do is to stand firm and stay true to the Lord. Those of us who went on the online prayer time last week for the um, the persecuted church heard that our brothers and sisters in facing persecution and so much trouble often don't say, please pray that we will not be persecuted. They say, please pray that we will stand strong. That's what the prayer we want. Yes, we'd like not to be persecuted, but we want to stand strong. That's what we need. And that's exactly what Paul is doing here. He's in prison for his faith, and he's wanting the Philippians to do the same as he does. We've already seen some of the hassles he was going through in, in prison. 
He was in prison and other people were preaching the gospel. You remember from earlier chapters, out of envy, of jealousy, trying to hurt Paul. But Paul is standing strong. He's, I suspect, sitting quite a lot, doing a lot of writing, but he's metaphorically standing strong. But what's so amazing about this passage is Paul's relationship with these Christians. We often think, think of Paul, some people in particular who dislike Romans and dislike some of Paul's teachings, see him as a grumpy old man who was just concerned about right theology and didn't have much compassion. Maybe he was some chap who'd never been married and he was just a bit crotchety. That's not at all what he's like. If you think that's what Paul's like, you've not read his letters. We've missed all that he's already said in Philippians. He says in the message, he goes on to say, My dear, dear friends, I love you so much. I do want the very best for you. You make me feel such joy. You fill me with pride. Don't waver. Stay on track. Steady in God. Paul is not wanting these people to stay strong as Christians so that he'll be able to say, oh, look at the Philippians, you know, that was a church I first preached in. They're such a good church. He didn't want the credit. He loved these people intensely. And the the message gets it over when he's, it's his dear, dear friends. I love you so much. Is that what we feel like? Is that how we relate to our brothers and sisters, how we relate to a church maybe that we've left and moved to as we moved to Edinburgh? Do we long to see our fellow Christians as he talks about? Do they bring us joy? Sadly, I know a number of people who are very, say they're very strong Christians and they are, but they can't stand church because it's just too complicated because people can be so difficult. And because there's just so many hassles in a church is what they say. So I love Jesus, but I don't do church is something that you hear very often, sadly. And sometimes it's kind of easy to have that attitude. It's easy to feel that, well, I go to church because it's the right thing to do, because that's what God wants me to do. The Bible clearly teaches that. But I don't really like a lot of the people in church. I'm not that comfortable with them. And there are people who, who will tell you that. And that's not what Paul is saying here. Paul has this attitude of loving these Christians whom he hardly sees. And you know from reading other letters of Paul, as I've said before, my dad always said, you go through Paul's list of his shipwrecks, his beatings, and all the other things. And dad always used to say, and then he says, I'm the care of all the churches. So Paul doesn't just love the Philippians because they're really nice people. They have an excellent taste in music, and they have a really good church with lots of comfortable seats. No, Paul loves the Philippians because he loves all the believers. And the trouble about volunteering for a passage like this is it's a bit too challenging. But Paul isn't starry-eyed, and he isn't out of touch. He's well aware of the problems which are so common in churches because he goes on to say, I appeal to Iodia and Syntyche, please, because you belong to the Lord, settle your disagreement. So he's writing to this church, 
And he's talking about how much he loves them in the Lord. But he's also got this wee statement about these two ladies. It's quite unusual. There are not many people who are picked out, not many names who are picked out for a specific message in the New Testament. Usually, if we say, usually it's just general statements about people who are not following the truth and who are behaving badly. But the message goes on to say, God doesn't want his children holding holding grudges. So, the immediate conclusion is that these two women are really quite naughty people. So, they're having a disagreement. And Paul knows about it, and presumably everybody else knows about it. Paul must have been told by Epaphroditus. So Paul is reprimanding these ladies. But wait a minute. He's not only saying they need to be reconciled, but he's also saying to his true partner, and you might want to read the commentaries after lunch on this, because you'll find that some people suggest it was somebody called, uh, get the word here, somebody called, Sisygus, um, or it might have been another person who was there in um, Philippi at the time. But he's asking this person to facilitate the resolving of this difference. But as we all know well, reconciliation can be greatly helped by a mediator. That's someone who doesn't take sides, but tries to assist communication between the disagreeing parties. But that's a tough task, but it's very important. As I said, we don't know who this true partner was, but you'll find various suggestions as to who it might have been. But the important thing about this section and these women is that Paul has an incredibly high regard for them. What does he say there in verse 3? He says, For they worked hard with me in telling others about the good news. They worked along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers, whose names are written in the book of life. These women are hard workers. These women are team workers, just like Paul is himself, and as we should be. And it's very likely that they held a very important role in the church. The church had been started there by a group with a a group of women. That was who Paul preached to. That was the ones that were working there. These people were key parts of the church. But they currently have a disagreement. We don't know what it was, which is probably a very good thing. I think we can be sure it wasn't a matter of faith or doctrine, or Paul would have handled it differently but it could have been anything else. And now my opportunity to, is to invent all sorts of things and tell you it could have been that. I'm going to try and resist the temptation. I read a commentary last night which suggested that Paul didn't say who was right and who was wrong. I suspect that's probably because neither was right or wrong. Life isn't like that. And although many of us like to think things are black and white, If you read the Bible, that's not the case. There are lots of things in life which are quite complicated. Somebody I also read suggested that it might have been a personality clash. Was that because it was women? Was that because they were prejudiced? There's no biblical evidence of that's the case. And I have to be very quick and say that the fact that these two women 
these two individuals are women has nothing to do with the fact that they had a disagreement. Because it seems to me, given the caliber of these individuals, it wasn't anything trivial, although it's difficult how you define trivial. I think it was more a spiritual issue. Perhaps it was related to their evangelism. Perhaps Yodia felt that Christianity Explored was so much more theologically sound that you should use Christianity Explored for outreach. But Syntyche felt that Alpha was more seeker-friendly, so she insisted that they should offer an Alpha course. Or maybe they disagreed about the best Bible translation for use in preaching and evangelism. Or perhaps it was the best format for their outreach events or the church services. But it might be or, 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 or something else with no right answer. But the crucial thing here is that Paul has perhaps been building up to this right throughout the letter. Remember chapter 2, which we studied under Tim. Remember the phrases there, let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. So what he's asking these women to do is to have the mind of Christ. And being one and being united is the theme right throughout this letter. And if churches were more united and more at one, I think some of my friends who don't go to church anymore would not find it so difficult to go to church. And what should we do in this situation? We need to have a relationship with each other which imitates Christ. We read the words earlier in the book, do not seek your own, but put others before yourselves. Loose translation. This letter is all about the mind of Christ. And sometimes it's very easy to get the theology right about Christ, but do we have his mind? But Paul turns from dealing with disagreement and difference, as we've seen already, to one of his favorite themes, rejoice and be considerate, always full of joy in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. Like many of our brothers and sisters in the persecuted church, Paul is continually full of the joy of the Lord, despite his circumstances. Notice he's not rejoicing he's in prison. He's not rejoicing that the food is terrible, or if he got any food. He's rejoicing that he is in Christ, and it's God he can turn to. So our rejoicing is not in our circumstances. And just as everyone we come in contact with should see that we are full in joy of the Lord, he says, let everyone see that you are considerate in all we do. Are we seen as kind, loving people? As we've been learning in our home Bible studies in First John, if we can love, we love God but don't love our brothers and sisters, we're fooling ourselves. But what does it mean to be considerate? Surely it means to consider the needs of others. Again, the NIV uses the word gentleness. And commentators I read suggest it's not easy to find a single English word to cover what the Greek word says. But maybe let's try just to ask ourselves, how might my speech or my behavior make somebody else feel? What would Jesus say? How would Jesus treat him or her? so easy to to be hard and inflexible in a view of others not to 
really get realize how that person might be feeling to make assumptions about how they are because paul goes on to say remember the lord is coming soon is he implying here that the lord might say that wasn't very considerate john that wasn't very sensitive that wasn't something that would be helpful why did you behave like that but as the more literal translation would be, the Lord is near, it could, of course, refer to the fact that God is with us all the time and God is always watching what we do. He's always with us to support us, but he's also aware of how we behave. Most commentators suggest it's both of these. But Paul goes on to say, especially for people like me, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything Tell God what you need and thank Him for all He has done. Don't worry about anything. For many of us, not worrying about everything would be a massive achievement. But don't worry about anything. For somebody like me, it seems just totally impossible. But he's actually only echoing the words of Jesus in Matthew 6. And he goes on to explain and to promise that if we don't worry about anything and pray about everything and tell God what we need and thank Him for all He has done, then we can experience God's peace. And God's peace exceeds anything we can understand. And again, that's not easy to translate either. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. What an incredible promise. What a transformation from a life filled with worry and anxiety to a life lived experiencing God's grace. But this is only possible as we live in Christ Jesus. We can't do that ourselves. No matter, of, no matter how many self-help books we read or how much we encourage ourselves, we cannot be like that unless we live in Christ. So, What do you tell God you need? Is it health or happiness or success or what else? I want to remind us all, and perhaps if you're watching online, I want to remind you that the only way we can know that true love and that true joy and that true peace is just like these members of the church in Philippi, is if we repent of our sin if we believe that Jesus died for our sin and we accept God's forgiveness, that way we will get life that never ends. And so we'll receive eternal life. So I've got some responses for us to think about as we move to a conclusion. How are we going to respond to this passage? How are we going to respond to the reminder that if we're not yet a Christian, we need to ask Jesus to be our Savior? How are we going to respond to this passage? Are we standing strong in our faith and are we ready to give up? I was speaking to somebody on Friday who was ready to give up. Just felt church was full of hypocrites. People weren't there for him. And it's hard. Do we love our brothers and sisters as much as Paul did? Do I have disagreements with someone? Am I going to settle them? So much easier to go to another church and preach about a passage like this because you don't know anybody there and you don't know about any of the disagreements. But if you're in your own church, 
you know that some people are not very happy with you. And you know that not everybody gets on together. We need to settle them. But the other hard thing is, if we are not in a situation where you're having a disagreement, and some of you are probably in that position, do we know people with disagreements? Are we willing to get our hands dirty and try and help the reconciliation? That's really, really hard. Because the temptation is to take one side or the other. And there might be a case for that if it's a serious heresy. But if it's a disagreement, if it's something which is not stopping the gospel, but is stopping harmony, then that's a real challenge for us. Am I full of the, of the joy of the Lord? Do I rejoice? If you saw me at the bus stop, would my face be like fizz? Would it be a long face? Am I considerate in all I do? Let everybody see you're considerate. Am I considerate in all I do? That's been a real challenge in the last 24 hours. Am I gentle? Okay, so I might like to say I'm considerate, but am I gentle? Do I relate to people in such a way that, that people see me as not hard? They see me as loving, as kind, interested in their situation. They might want to talk to me. That's, that's really quite a challenge. And the other big challenge is that some of us are very good at bringing other people's needs to God. But we're not very good at bringing our own needs to God. We pray about the persecuted church. But maybe we're having a big struggle in our own life and we don't do it. And we don't pray about everything. So am I continually worrying? Sorry, I've missed looking forward to the Lord's coming. That's very important, but there was lots on that last week. Am I continually worrying? Do I pray about everything? Do I bring my needs to God? Not always. Do I live in God's peace? These are challenges for us. What's, what's our Christian lives like? The chap I was talking to on Friday was talking about the fact that, that he finds it, um, sorry, it's me clicking the wrong button, that, that he finds it, the relationship with God very hard. That's the hard bit. He doesn't feel God as close. And I said to him, yeah, I'm the same so often. I don't feel God as close. I know the theory. I know that there's no other way than Jesus, but I but I sometimes don't feel God close. But here is this older man sitting in a prison and he's writing to these Christians and he's saying, live in God's peace. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stay true to the Lord. Very easy to throw out these challenges, brothers and sisters. I wonder how much this week I'm going to benefit from having read them yesterday. Thank you for giving me the chance to preach because having to read it yesterday has helped me a great deal and I trust it will help us all this week. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for these exceeding precious promises. And we thank you that it's your word that matters 
And it's your word this morning on the screen and in our hearts that will change us. It's not my words. It's not my comments. They may have been very unhelpful. It's Jesus. And it's Jesus this whole epistle is about. It's Jesus who is our hope. It's Jesus who is our example. And we follow him because we need his help, the help of your spirit to enable us to have his mindset May each of us in our own personal lives, in our homes, in our workplaces, in church this week, may we each have the mind of Christ constraining us, guiding us, leading us, and helping us to deal with whatever issues are there to be dealt with. We do pray again for our troubled world. We pray again for our brothers and sisters who couldn't meet like us today. And we pray for all who mourn in all sorts of ways. But Lord, we thank you for the unspeakable joy and peace that you've given us in Jesus. May we know it in our hearts for Jesus' sake. Amen.